verses 5 through 6. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. The Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. This morning I wish to further our understanding of Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. And this is the reason for the series of messages was to do today. I remember when I first studied this, I was so overcome at its truth because I saw in it such comfort for the people of God. And it is so important for you to understand it that I have tried to make it unusually simple. The only problem for me is making things simple. And to make it simple that you understand Him as King, I have to explain to you First of all, his position as mediator, because that is how he rules as king. This will seem perhaps unfamiliar to you, because in the last 100 years, the kingship of Jesus Christ has not been taught in the churches, particularly the conservative Protestant churches, that Jesus' kingship is something yet to come that Jesus is, of course, the head of the church. When do you hear him called the king of the church? The reason you don't hear it is because modern Protestant scholarship of the last hundred years of the larger denominations and their eschatological views of the end time do not view Jesus right now as reigning as king. So, instead of dealing with all of that this morning, I'm just going to show you that he is. But I have to show you how he reigns as king first, and that's his mediator. And so just write down, Christ, our mediator. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Since the fall of humanity, brothers and sisters, sinners have been unable to approach God without going through a mediator. They've needed a prophet and they've needed a priest. They needed a prophet to tell them how to approach and a priest to make the sacrifice so that they could approach God. Scripture reveals this truth in many ways, especially in the establishment of the covenant priesthood with Aaron. And I would like you to notice something. A prophet is what? Anointed as a prophet. It's not an office he seeks. It's an office he's invested into. There is an investiture and that is when he is anointed. A priest doesn't choose the priesthood. The priesthood is chosen for him. 
And what is it? What is the sign of the investiture? He is anointed with oil. What was the sign that the shepherd boy out there in the field keeping flock, watch over the flock, the boy David, when Samuel came along and told him, you shall be the king of Israel, what was the investiture? He was anointed with oil. Jesus Christ is of the old covenant priesthood. He is of the old covenant prophets. And as we have seen, only those that held the vocation could enter the holy parts and the holy place of the Lord. And, and that is where God made Himself manifested. And on the Day of Atonement, especially in Leviticus 16, you would see the priest would be anointed with oil before he went into the Holy of Holies. But Scripture also recognizes that the Old Covenant mediators were insufficient. And I shared about that with you last week. There was a succession of mediators. There was a new one every year. There was a new high priest every year. And when one died, another would replace him, bringing the former priest's work of mediation to non-effect. And the new priest then would have to go in and do the work of mediation. And it is impossible, the Bible says, for blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, the, the sacrifices only took care of the external portion that which was seen on the outside. What are we most interested today, it seems like? Not what's on the inside, what's on the outside. And so there was the expiation, which you can remember expiation with the word exterior. Expiation's the outside. It satisfied the outside judgment of God and it atoned for sin for one year. But then there was the propitiation, which was personal and internal. And it satisfied not only God's justice, it satisfied His wrath. And there was only one sacrifice that could do that. And it was offered up by our high priest who himself was our sacrifice. So you could write it down this way. Jesus Christ, our prophet mediator. Jesus Christ, our priestly mediator. And Jesus Christ, our kingly mediator for He is the one mediator. This is where the Roman church has it wrong. We would love to love our Roman brothers for they are made in the image of God. But they have Mary, they have the priest, and they have the sacraments. There is one mediator, the man, Jesus Christ. The church for us is not over the Bible. The Bible for us is over the church. Amen? As the Apostle Paul tells us, the only one that truly fulfills the vocation of mediator between God and human beings is that man, Jesus Christ the King. That man. In stressing the Lord's humanity, Paul is not denying His deity. He affirms that Jesus is truly God in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. You should go write that down because that is what took place in Luke chapter 2. That is what took place in Luke chapter 2. It's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. John Calvin says, Paul stresses the humanity of Christ in today's passage as a reminder that Jesus shares in our humanity so that we can be joined to Him and thus stand before God. But he noticed something in this text as the mediator. 
Christ, listen to me. Christ must be truly God and truly man to be the mediator. A mediator is a go-between who can re represent, listen to me, the interests of both parties. The interests of God and the interest of man. That's what makes him the true mediator. He is the infinite God-man. That is why he had to come. That is why he had to be born not to represent just the interest of God, but to represent the interest of man. He had to represent the interest of God, how? Prophetically. He had to in represent the interest of God, how? Of man, how? In the priestly manner. But where is he now? What does he do now for you and I? He reigns as king. As king, he reigns as the mediator king. And I'm going to show you why that matters in light of what I prayed about what the Congress did this week. So I don't even know what it was. It had something to do with transgender stuff. What I remember is what no one is talking about. When I was asked why did 12 Republicans sign on that bill, making it pass, it was because they said, we'll sign on the bill to our own political suicide if you will do these and give these protections to the church. Now I want you to think about that. Do you realize how significant that is? In my home, those men and women would be burned at the stake by my very conservative wife. I said, do you not understand what they did? They did exactly what we want. They set the church apart. I can now preach political sermons without fear of retribution of the government. And I do not have to accept, marry, provide for, acknowledge, or anything, anybody other than what the Bible says is what a Christian is, regardless of their sexual identity. So this horrible law got passed by people who said, we will let this law pass if you will give these guarantees. So now you know what that means? Those who got the law passed, they now have to go to the Supreme Court and overturn the guarantees given to the church, but they won't do it because it gave special rights to someone else that does not affect you and me as Christians. How does that happen? The king is our mediator. He knows what we need. And he is working on our behalf. And we don't need political laws to protect us anyway. We have Him. But guess what? Because the Congress, the President, and the Senate have done something in that bill that is an abomination that glorifies God on a whole other way, you can bet your bottom dollar God's not finished. 
And we need to start acting like the winners instead of the losers. Because he that is for us cannot be against us. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. But the very ones that are telling you and reacting to you, to the world of how horrible this bill is and how this country continues to spiral and going out to darker places and how all of these things and we have got to get a political solution. Those, that group of people, even as evangelical Christians, do not believe fundamentally and they will tell you this. I know this because I have looked at what they, they write. They do not believe that at this moment Jesus Christ rules as the king mediator. He sits in heaven and makes intercession for his church, but it's only at this, the, either the rapture or the second coming that Jesus will then become the king. I'm going to show you the Bible has another picture of that, and I'm going to show you how. That's why I had to tell you what is a mediator. So now that you understand what a mediator is, Jesus Christ is our only mediator because he is the only one capable of mediating between God and man and that is why he is fully God and fully man. So let me now explain to you his kingship. Jesus Christ is king. He is the king. And so let us now take a few moments and talk about it. The kingly office of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, listen, shares, write this down, shares. That's, you know, did mama teach you to share? That's the important word in all of this. It shares in the universal dominion of God. God has dominion over all things. Amen? He has dominion over all things. And in distinction from this, we speak of a kingship that was conferred on Jesus Christ, write this down, as mediator. The kingship that was given to Christ from the one who has dominion over everything is the kingship of a mediator. He is the mediator king. This kingship has two sides. It's the same thing with two views. There is number one, which I will explain first, his spiritual kingship. His spiritual kingship over the church. And then his kingship that is universal over the universe. His spiritual kingship and His universal kingship. So to begin with, the Bible speaks of the spiritual kingship of Jesus Christ in many places. Let's just go to John chapter 18 to begin with. I have many verses on this, but I just want you to look at this. John chapter 18, if you're alright, would you say amen? John chapter 18, I would like you to look at verses 36 and 37. It says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But, that is, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Now, now that you understand him as the king mediator, that passage starts to look different to you, doesn't it? It becomes a little more three-dimensional. Verse 37, Therefore Pilate said to him, You are a king? Look what Jesus says. You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean, for this I have been born? Well, in Pilate's eyes, he is thinking of what? Human birth. And we know Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father, full in grace and truth, right? Jesus Christ is not born nor created. He is the begotten Son of God. He is and was and shall ever be, world without end. Amen. But for Pilate, he is standing there. He's alive. He's 33. He's human. He's bleeding right there. He's been beaten. And he says, for this reason I've been born. Why would he be born to be a king. Why wouldn't it? Listen. Ooh, I'm having some unction. Why wouldn't he look at him and say, for this reason I was born a prophet and a priest. He said, for this reason I was born a king. What kind of king? One whose realm cannot be seen, but one whose realm is there. And one whose realm is beyond there. He was born to be the king mediator. And what Pilate was about to do was to ensure that he mediated between God and man. And so he says, For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth... Here's my voice. The second phrase in Latin that comes in verse 39 is my favorite. What is truth? Is veritas. I love that. But that's a whole nother day. So let me talk to you about this. Write this down. The kingship of Christ, the kingship of Christ is His royal rule over His people. The kingship of Christ is His royal rule over His people. It is called a spiritual ruling. or it's, It is spiritual. So Jesus, the kingship of Christ is His royal rule over His people. It is called spiritual. It is His spiritual kingship. He has this now. He had this then let me give you some reasons why. This is just kind of dot, 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 and done. I mean, I'm, I, I just got that much more to go. It's because, it re, number one, it relates to a spiritual realm. We come here and we sing to somebody we've never seen, and we forbid to have any images or likenesses of him in this room. Aren't we just a bunch of prudes? We have to pray in his name to believe things are going to be effective. We have to use his book to believe that we're going to learn anything and we have to believe that the book is right even though we don't understand it. It's not footnoted very well. 
and we can't read the original languages. We also have to come in here and we have to live by faith because it's impossible to please Him without it. Isn't that interesting? And then we have to obey somebody we've never heard talk. In a world where there's 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 opinions as to what He said. And yet we do it. Do you think that we're here today because of a spiritual reason? Of course we are. God knows we need Him. God knows we need the visible church. God knows we need each other. Amen? So Jesus' spiritual kingship as it relates to a spiritual realm. Number two, it is established in the hearts and the lives of believers. It's established in the hearts and the lives of believers. The other day, right before at Tom Thumb, they put those automatic checkout, checker outer things that put three people out of a job. You know, that certainly can't go to Walmart and use one of their checker stands over there. Don't ever imagine that happening. Um, there was a woman, and she, was, uh, she asked for change if she could. If she gave a certain bill, and, and she said, I heard this, and I, now I know this sounds like me doing this, but I didn't do it. She said, listen, I need cash back. If you'll give me $200, i will give you a 20 and all I need, And all she said is all I need is 100 but I heard it's two for one. And this is what the woman said. I didn't do this. I didn't do this because I would have responded if, she had, if I had done that and she said that to me. The woman said, ma'am, I teach Sunday school at such and such Baptist church and if I did that, I'm going to go straight to hell in a handbasket. I'm not about to do that. I, I, no, ma'am, I'm a Christian. And, and the lady just sat there going, I'm just kidding. She wasn't. I thought, you're going to go straight to hell for $20? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, listen. The royals, the sp listen, if you didn't hear Wednesday night, what was taught Wednesday night was what was shared Thursday that led to the pledge that's in your bulletin. Because the one I saw told me all he thought he was was his money. And I said, no, all you are is who you are, and it's wonderful. And he said, I'll buy your $15,000 plane ticket. I don't have a $15,000 plane ticket because Concorde doesn't fly anymore. But I didn't leave with the check because I know what's going to happen. We have a friend that's closer than a brother. There's nothing you can do in Christ that can change that. He is a faithful friend. He's an obedient friend. He is a worshiping friend. He is a covenant friend. He is Jesus Christ, the King, who is your prophet and your priest and your mediator. There's nothing you can do. Nothing can separate you. Remember the passage in Romans that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God? Why? Because a mediator has made mediation. And that establishes the heart and the life of the believer. That's why this teaching may sound new or even esoteric. You need to understand. God gave me an illustration this week from the Congress to show you He is reigning on behalf of His people. Even if they don't know it. 
Number three, it has a spiritual end, end in view. You know what the spiritual end in view is for you and I? Listen to me. Our salvation. You say, well, I am saved. You are saved, being saved, and will one day experience the joy of your salvation in fullness with glorification. You will say goodbye to sin forever. What a glorious day. When the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump of the Lord shall resound, and all the rest that song says, it is well with my soul. How did Horatio Spafford write that song, going across the sea to bury his wife and four daughters? Tragedy upon tragedy. Do you know what happened after that story? Today in Israel, this day, is the Spafford Hospital for orphaned Israeli children that go in sick and come out born again. You didn't know that. I had to learn that from the Mormons. It's true. Next time I go to Israel, we're going to go there, and I'm sure it's been done before. We're going to stand outside and we're going to sing, It is well with my soul. Salvation of sinners. Number four, it is administered by spiritual means. What are the spiritual means by which it is administered? It is administered by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Number five, and it is exercised. How is the spiritual kingship of God exercised? Now this is key. Ready? It is exercised largely in the gathering, the government, the protection, and the perfection of the church. The kingship, the spiritual kingship of Jesus Christ is exercised largely in the gathering, the government, the protection, and perfection of the church. Not the government of the country, the government of the church. Which I, unless any of us in here have been Presbyterian or Episcopalian, we have never been in a church with a true church government, according to Scripture. But we're getting there. We're going to be nine years old. Can you believe that? Dana, we got to start working on the 10th anniversary. We're going to, I think we'll have to do something. Listen to this. The kingship, as well as the realm over which it extends, is called in the New Testament these two things. Write this down. This is what's going to kind of cause you your tires to rub and skid. The kingship, the spiritual kingship of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is called by two names, meaning the same thing. One, the kingdom of God, and the other, the kingdom of heaven. In the strict sense, the word only believers, in the strict sense of the word, only members of the invisible church are citizens of the kingdom. What do we mean by the invisible church? Look at me. Listen to me. 
When we do the Lord's Supper here, which we will do Friday, Saturday night on Christmas Eve with candlelights, I always say, if you are a member of a Bible, well, I always say if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer under biblical preaching in a local church in good standing, you're welcome to come. But I don't stop you from coming or taking. That's up to you. But all those who take that communion would be considered part of the visible church. But if anyone takes the communion that is not a believer, is not part of the invisible church. Only those that are born again of God, the Israel of God, the elect of God, those who have faith, saving faith given to them by the grace of God, are of the invisible church. Not every, everyone that is baptized in, in a local church is considered part of the visible church. If you are a Presbyterian, that's when you're an infant in covenant membership. If you're a Baptist, that's with believers' baptism. But because of the baptism, you are considered a member of the church. But only, listen, only a member of the visible church. It is only those of the faith that are of the invisible church. And so every church has a mixture of both wheat and tares, of sheep and goats. There's no perfect church except the church triumphant, which is in heaven. And one day we'll be there too. And we'll, under, and we'll meet the other person of our own person that's there too because it says we're in the heavenlies now. I don't understand that, but maybe in another 50 years of ministry I will. So in the strictest sense, this kingship, this spiritual rulership is over those of the invisible church. Because if you're not of the invisible church, then He's not your Savior. But you can be part of the visible church. But in the terms of kingdom of God, it's sometimes in a broader sense. It considers, for example, as it says in Matthew chapter 13, those who are under the proclamation of the gospel and who have been placed in the visible church. So His rulership extends to those in the visible church through what? The gathering, the governing, the protecting, and the perfection of the local church. Okay? All right. Let me just say two more things about it, and then I want to hit the last part real easy. The kingdom of, Write this down. You need to understand this. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, on one hand, is present. It is a spiritual reality. Now let me tell you how it's present. It is a spiritual reality in your heart and in your lives. It is a present reality in your heart and your lives. But this is also a future hope which will not be realized until the return of Jesus Christ. And that return, by the way, is the perusia the second coming of Christ, which only is the only next coming of Christ, the Bible says. Then it says He come back twice. You say, now you're rubbing me. I am. Because if you feel the rub, that's why this kingship stuff has never made any sense. He is reigning, and He reigns now. As I told this fellow the other day, I said, since you left our church, our church has never made a profit. We've always lost money. 
we're a true nonprofit. We're a true nonprofit. And it's and it's not and even even when we don't spend money, we lose money. I said, and I said, that's not how you run your business. He said, I said to him, I said, how does that happen? He said, I know how it happens. God. Never administrate the spirit, you never spiritualize administration. But the reality of it is, no matter what, you never give up your faith because your God is your king. And if we can't live by faith, then we have nothing else to live by. And where others have, he, he told me about a man that he just had to move to Texas. He pastored one church for 37 years and he said the church failed and he had to move him here to Texas and put him up and paying him a salary just so he and his wife can get back. He mortgaged his house three times, let all this other stuff go so that church and it finally failed. And I said, failed? Failed? 37 years? One pastorate? Failed? That's not a failure. He needs to write a book. Oh Lord, let it be so. 37 years, one people. I mean, can you imagine one day, hopefully not being in here, but I'm looking over there at Ainsley, and Ainsley, you're as, you're as young as your grandmother, and your grandkids are sitting there, and I can talk about the days of your grandma and grandpa. You too, Alyssa. Get y'all a boyfriend. And, uh, I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing thought. Now, that's his spiritual kingship. Let me give you the last one. And this is the one that blew my hair back. And I'll go up real fast because my hair, I mean, since I read it, my hair's just gone like that. All right? His universal kingship. Now, I've given you enough to be comforted by, but this is the portion to comfort you. And it's only that much stuff. Okay? So here we go. His universal kingship. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He said to His disciples in Matthew 28, 18, write down this verse. Matthew 28, 18, He said, All, say all. all. Say all without exception. So this is not a hyperbole. This is not everyone loves mom, apple pie, and baseball. This means all without exception. He says, all authority, whether the Democrats are in power or the Republicrats are in power, all authority, whether the Communists, the Socialists, the, or the French are in power, or the Chinese, whomever, it means all authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now where is this? He has a spiritual kingdom that he exercises now in the lives and the hearts of believers and it is mainly seen, largely exercised in the gathering, the governing, the protecting, and the perfection of the church. We all know this to be true. What he did this week in the Congress is simply stupefying to me. And the thing is, is we cry for a miracle, but we don't believe in it. But it is a miracle because He has His kingship. But this universal kingship says that He has all the authority. Now how does that work? Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Two verses. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 27. You're probably already there. I can't even find it. I'm so nervous. I'm just excited to tell you this. I've been sitting on this for so long. Look at it. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. Beloved, this is for you. This is for you. For He has put all things in subjugation or subjection under His feet. But when He says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that He is expected to put all things in subjection to Him. Let me show you something. Who wrote that? The chief persecutor and prosecutor against Christ's church on earth. And who has been put in subjection and subjugation under? Saul of Tarsus, that he becomes what? The Apostle Paul. Do you think for one moment that the Apostle Paul has any doubt of what he is saying? He looks back at his life, at what he did, and you know what he called it? A thorn in his side. And he said, oh God, take away what I've done in my past. Take this thorn from me because I've robbed Kelly of her kids. And I've robbed Jean and George's kids of their parents because they were faithful Christians. And I have taken out David and Nancy in front of their kids and seen that they were jailed because they loved the Lord. And I've taken Cason because I know his parents and I want to hurt them, our followers of the way. Oh God, take the thorn from my side. And what was his response? What moved in Paul? The spiritual kingship of Jesus Christ that revealed unto him these words that you must take consolation in. My grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what the spiritual kingdom of God is called in Latin? Listen. It's called the regnum, R-E-G-N-U-M, regnum, gratiae, G-R-A-T-E-I-A. For the Aggies, it's E-I-E-I-O. Oh, I mean, that's farm. I'm sorry. The, listen to me. The spiritual kingship of Jesus is called the reign of grace. The universal kingship of Jesus Christ has an entirely different name. And Jesus said here, He says... It is evident that He will put all things in subjection. That speaks of His spiritual reigning and His universal reigning. Look at one more place. Go over here to 2 Peter 1.11 and just write down Luke. I'm sorry. No, no, don't go there. I'm wrong place. Go over here to Ephesians. Ephesians 1. Sorry. Ephesians 1. And right now I'm trying to think, what is that Latin word for the other one? Hmm. Ephesians 1, 20 and 22. Which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of the Father. 
in the heavenly places. Now, where is he seated? On the throne. Far above all what? All Joe Biden's and Nancy Pelosi's and Barack Obama's. Seated far above all Putin's, Zelensky's, Bernie Sanders. Biden, yeah. Who's he? He doesn't even know. Far above all rules and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but what? In the age to come. His spiritual kingship has a future end to it, right? And, verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet. Who put the subjection where? God put the subjection of all things under his own feet? No, his sons, the king, universal, under his feet and gave him as head over all things. Look, watch this, watch this. Look at it, look how it's red. And gave him as head over all things to who? To the church, not to religion, not to Judaism, not to Islam, not to Hinduism, not to atheism. He put Jesus Christ and gave him all authority, all power, put everything in subjugation under him and gave him to who? The church. So you better sure understand he's not only the head of the church, he's the king of it. And he's not the future king of it, he is the king of it. Why? Because he is the universal king. Now. When did this happen? It tells you when he raised from the dead. What do we call that? We call that the inauguration of the kingdom. How, how did it happen? He was anointed. Where did it happen? In the heavenly places. Who did it? The ancient of days. Who appointed it? The liar since the beginning of the world. And who won? The ancient of days says, you win. It's an Easter sermon. So watch this, friends. The kingship, this universal kingship, is entrusted, though, to Christ as mediator. That is what you must take away. This was the moment of the greatest epiphany this year. Right now, because I have been telling you not to worry about all you see and hear, and I know it, it, it's, you're concerned and you should be, perhaps. All right, it's understandable. But I didn't have quite the right caliber weapon or bullet to help you. But I knew it because I have a different spirit. And when God was ready to show it to me, He did. And so what did He do? In the universal kingship, what God did is He entrusted Jesus Christ as the king over the universe, as the mediator. This is why this is important. As mediator, write these down. Are you ready? 
Remember, He has been given to the church as the King of the universe. Okay? For this benefit. One, He guides the destiny of individuals and nations. He guides the destiny of individuals and nations. Number two, He controls the life of the world and makes it subservient to His redemptive purpose. He controls the life of the world and makes it subservient to His redemptive purpose. And number three, this is what you must keep in your heart. As mediator and king of the universe, He protects His church against the dangers to which is exposed in the world. And I know now why I was never able to preach this because I have the greatest illustration that just happened in our nation. In a law that was passed that you and I find completely abnormal, aberrant, and an abomination, that in passing that law, God gave a protection to the church it has never, ever enjoyed in this country and will never be taken away. And so let the people with the rainbow march under the rainbow. And we're going to love them because they're confused. But the rainbow is the sign that fire's coming. But not for us. Because one day we will see our king and when he returns, how will he return? He will return as a king. Is the horse, is it on his thighs that say faithful and true? Or is the horse named faithful and true? Maybe it's named silver, I don't know. It's not Mr. Ed. (laughs) The kingship, listen, will last until the victory over the enemies of the kingdom of God is complete. Then I'm going to close you with this. And when the end is accomplished, this is what it looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When it's all over, when it's done, when it's finished, the world is blown up. Everything is gone. Everything we've known to ever have been is over. There's no coming back, no turning back, no nothing. Go to verse 24 of chapter 15, and this is how the universal kingship will end. Then comes the end. When He hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when He has abolished all rule, and all authority and power. For He must reign until He puts all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy that will be put under His feet will be abolished. And that enemy is death. For He has put all things in subjection under His feet, but when He says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that He is expected to put all things in subjection to Him. And when all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the one who has subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. So here's what's going to happen. When it's all done, it's over. It's finished. This is what's going to happen. 
It goes all the way back before the beginning of time. God set up His eternal covenant redemption. And He said, I'm going to save through you, Jesus. And then the covenants began to be made. And the election and all of those things, God's decree and foreknowledge, all those things happened. So now is the end. And He said, I'm going to send you after them and you're going to redeem them that I have given you. You will not lose one. And when the last one believes, it's over. And then you will gather and you will bring all of them to me. And that's what I just read to you. And then there's one other thing that will take place. God having received all whom Jesus saved, having been double-checked in the Lamb's book of life that was written before the foundations of the world, then God will say, Jesus, behold your bride, and He will give the redeemed to His Son. World without end. Amen. Amen. He is our prophet. He has made an end of sin. He is our priest. He is the only one that could go and make the sacrifice before God. And He sacrificed Himself. And He is our King as mediator because He has made mediation between man and God. And He reigns spiritually in our hearts and lives. And He reigns universally as mediator. Every decision that is made in the mind of Jesus Christ is for the benefit of only one people. It is His church. And that's why the kingdom of hell cannot prevail. Amen? Would you stand and bow your heads?